If you have your Bible, you can turn uh, to 1 Samuel again. We're going to pick up where we left off last time with 1 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read the entire uh, passage, uh, the entire chapter today, on to uh, the very first part of chapter 4, um, first part of verse 1 of chapter 4. They, they form a unit, they all go together, and so we're going to read that today. Uh, we're going to take a break after this. We're going to, um, for the next couple weeks, we're going to look at um, the, the meaning of Christmas, the incarnation of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we'll pick back up with uh, 1 Samuel in, at the new year. Uh, we'll continue to look at this passage, uh, or really the first part of Samuel that's all about God's sovereignty and how he brings about his salvation uh, for his people. Um, today, this passage is going to ask the question of what happens... Uh, in the absence of God's word, what happens to God's people? Uh, and really, all through the, the book of Judges, all through the first part of, um, uh, of Samuel, uh, we see the results of God's word uh, being removed from his people. Um, and what have we seen from that? Well, we see uh, moral and spiritual anarchy, uh, that when God removes his word, the people end up doing, uh, even God's people end up doing what they think is best, they operate uh, according to what they see as what they should be doing. Um, and then, again, I, I've said this over and over, the resounding note of the book of Judges is when there's no king in the land, everyone does what's right in his own eyes. Uh, one of the realities is that when God's people are not faithful to God's word, part of God's judgment and discipline for his people is that he actually will remove his word from his people. Uh, and by doing that, he actually removes the light of his word, uh, and that leads to the other things that we've seen. And today, uh, things are going to look bleak for uh, God's people. Things are going to look bleak uh, for the church of the Old Testament. Uh, but all that being said, there's a lot of stuff that's happening surrounding the events of uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, the people have been very religious up to this point. They have been keeping the sacrifices, they've been keeping the festivals, so there's a lot of religious activity, and yet God's word is not part of that religious activity. So what do the people need? The people need a prophet. They need someone from God to deliver God's word to keep the priest in, ch in check, because whenever the priests are off to do their own thing, they become corrupt, and today we see the breaking in of the light of God's Word. Let me read this for us. This is 1 Samuel chapter 3, the whole chapter. Hear God's good and kind word to you today. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. 
And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the, calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God. And he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help, understanding his word today. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for this word, and we pray that you would bless it, that you would not remove the light of your word from us, that we would hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed, that we would be people who have faith in him, and because of that faith have salvation. We thank you for the free offer of your gospel, and I pray that we would hear it and respond to it today in Christ's name. Amen. Today I want to look at this passage in three ways. Uh, We're going to see the first of all the Lord's gracious call. Uh, Secondly, we're going to see the Lord's harsh words. And then thirdly, the Lord's kind provision. So his gracious call, his harsh words, and his kind uh, provision. Uh, So first of all, we're going to see the Lord's gracious call. The first part here in verses 1 uh, through 10, we see God call uh, Samuel as a prophet. Uh, We get some of this introductory information, though, in in the first part, uh, beginning at verse 1. Now, the the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, but the word of the Lord was rare in those days because there was no uh, frequent vision. We see, first of all, the rarity of God's word in this day. Uh, Again, there was lots of religious activity. Uh, We saw that Hannah and her family would go up year by year and would perform the sacrifices uh, that God had commanded them to do. Uh, people were going and going to the tabernacle. They were doing their, their religious service. Uh, but very little uh, of that religious activity was combined with God's word. Uh, the priests were operating, but since the time of, of Moses, God had not raised up a prophet 
um, to proclaim his word to his people. Uh, and uh, he says as much because the, vis- the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Uh, right before this, we saw a, a nameless man come with a vision from God and with a word from God, but that was rare in this day. Um, and it's interesting in verse 2, it begins, look at verse 2. Um, you see the darkness creeping in to God's people. Uh, and it does it through the, the image of Eli and his failing eyesight. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And yet there's a, a little note of hope in verse 3. But the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So while the darkness is creeping in and we see the rarity of the light of God's word, there is yet still hope. Why? Because uh, this image there of the lamp of God in the temple that always burned, that lamp had not gone out. And then in verse 3, we see some other things and other reasons to have hope. Um, Even though Eli's light is going out, there's hope for Israel because God's light has not gone out for his people. What are the reasons to hope? Look again at verse 3. Um, we're told the lamp of God has not yet gone out. That's the first reason. Secondly, um, where is Samuel resting? We're contrasted here between Samuel and where he rested and where Eli rested. Where did Eli rest? Well, we're told Eli rested in his own place. Eli removed himself from the work of the temple of God's people and the work there, and he went to his own place, his own cushy bed, to remove himself from the Lord. But where was Samuel? We're told that Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord. That word temple can mean palace as well. That he resided with the Lord. That's the second reason to hope, because Samuel is resting with the Lord. The third reason to hope is this. The ark of God is still there. Now, in the next couple of chapters, that's going to be a big deal. The ark of God is a big deal. Why? Because the ark is the throne of God. God's presence is with his people. Samuel is there with the Lord, and the presence of God is still with his people. He has not removed his presence from his people, and there's reason to hope. So the ark is there because God's presence is still there with his people. So there's reason to hope the light has not gone out. The lamp of God is still lit. Samuel is resting with the Lord, and the ark of God is there. From this point, at verse 4 to verse 10, we see God's patient calling upon Samuel. Not once, not twice, not three times, but four times God calls to Samuel. And Samuel, we're told, um, doesn't quite understand what's happening. Why? Because God has never done this before. Uh, This isn't supposed to be a slight against Samuel. We're just being told that God is calling Samuel and is being patient with him while Samuel kind of gets a clue and figures out what's happening. So Yahweh calls Samuel three times before he's given the instruction from Eli. He says, Eli says, oh, the Lord is the one calling you. Um, So three times it happens, and the fourth time there's a change in God's call. Uh, There's a change in in Samuel's heart. He begins to listen to the Lord, but then there's also a change in the way that God calls Samuel. Um, Look at verse 4 real quick. 
Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. So just a very basic call. And then again, he says, uh, verse 6, um, And the Lord called Samuel, uh, called again Samuel, and Samuel rose and went to Eli. Um, that's the second time. The third time, 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So again, a very basic call. In verse 10, though, you get the difference. What does it say? And the Lord came, and he stood, and he called. The three things the Lord does. He came, he stood, and he called. And then there's also a different way that he called. He doesn't just say Samuel, but he says Samuel, Samuel. The Lord calls and uses the emphatic use by repeating that word, Samuel, Samuel. Pay attention, listen. And the difference is that now the Lord's presence is fully there with Samuel. And he fully called, and Samuel listened. One of the things we learn here is the patience of the Lord in his calling. Uh, One of the names of God is that he's slow to anger. Uh, The way that the Hebrews describe that is that he's long of nose. God is long of nose. As we grow, as we get older, our ears and our nose gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's just what happens. Well, for Jewish people, this is something that happens to them as well. And it's pronounced in them. And so their nose gets longer and their ears gets longer, get longer. And the older you are, the more long of nose you are, the more patient you are. Well, the Lord here is very patient in his calling. He's long of nose with Eli, or with Samuel. And so he is with us as well, that he's patient with us. And he's offering his grace and his mercy to us as well through his word. We see that patience also in the next point um, in verses 11 through 18 in the Lord's harsh words. He's going to once again deliver his harsh words to Eli. Uh, And this is the second point, his harsh words. But God has been very gracious and slow to anger with Eli as well. Um, Look uh, at verse 26 of chapter 2. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and favor with the Lord and also uh, with man. At that point in the story, Samuel is very young. He's probably no more than five or six years old. By the time you get to chapter 3, how old is Samuel? Now the young man Samuel was ministering to to the Lord. That word young man oftentimes in the scriptures when it's used means he's 13. So at 13 years old, from the time he's 6 or 7 years old to 13, God has been patient with Eli. He first gave his word of warning and Eli did not change. He did not go to his sons. He did not confront him. And so the Lord... Seven years later, comes back and says, Here again is the judgment that I'm giving against you. And he says something interesting in verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears will tingle. Uh, These are the buzzing ears uh, uh, of the people when you hear about something. Uh, You've had this kind of experience of what it's talking about here at some point in your life. I vividly remember September 11th, 2001, Uh, Waking up late, I was in college, and I woke up late, as college students do, preparing to get ready to go to to class at LSU, and I was on at my apartment on College Drive, and I flipped on the TV, and I went to go get ready to do things, and I heard some commotion on the TV, Uh, and while I was away from the TV, I heard all this commotion, and and I didn't know what was going on, but something unusual was happening, Uh, and so I heard about a plane, and I heard about terrorists, or or we didn't really know what was going on at that point, and I walked back into the living room where the TV was just in time to see uh, the second plane hit that second tower, 
And I stood there and immediately had the experience of my heartbeat ringing in my ears because you recognized, and all of us did, that something very important was happening. We didn't know what it was, but something heavy and, and scary was happening in my ears, beat in my, in my heart beat in my ears. And I think that's what this word is saying, that whenever you hear of this judgment from God, your ears or your heartbeat or something is going to buzz in your ears and, and you're going to perk up and you're going to listen and you're going to know that something important is happening. And the bad news comes, and God gives the bad news to Samuel. He says, Eli's house is coming under God's judgment. And why is he doing that? Look in verse 14, God's harsh words. He's doing it because of the iniquity of Eli's house. He's doing it because right before he says that, in verse 13, they had been blaspheming God. This is what's called a confirming witness. Uh, In the scriptures, we've been told once by this nameless man of God that judgment is coming against Eli and his house. Well, in a court of law in this day, you had to have two witnesses. The witnesses of one person wasn't enough. If you had two witnesses, that would stand up in a court of law. Well, God holds himself to that standard, and now he has provided two witnesses to go against Eli and his house, first the nameless man. And now, young Samuel is given God's word that God is going to bring judgment upon Eli's house. Yahweh has been patient with Eli. And now... Judgment is about to come. Well, here we see the prophet getting the word of God and receiving the word of God. And many times what prophets do, most of the time actually, is they have to give the bad news to the people. Um, I remember when Amy and I were in our fostering classes, we had to go through um, six weeks worth of classes. And one of the men that gave one of those classes stood up and we had been in it for a couple hours um, and he uh, stood up, and, and we were hoping to go home early, and he had promised that we were probably going to get to go home early in this class. And he stood up, and he said, well, I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. Uh, what do you want first? Um, and he, we said, we want the good news first. And he said, no, I'm going to give you the bad news first, and I'll give you the good news second. And we said, okay, we're ready for the good news, or the bad news. And he goes, the bad news is we will not be getting out early. And so we all groaned and said, oh, okay. He said, well, what's the good news? There's going to be good news. And he said, well, right before I walked in here, I received a phone call. And this person told me that I could save 15% on my auto insurance from GEICO. So that's the good news to us. Well, of course, that wasn't really good news. He was just trying to give us a way to tell us the bad news. Well, this prophet, Samuel, has the bad news of God to Eli. And there's no good news that accompanies this bad news. Therefore, in verse 14, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for. No sacrifice or offering will stand in the place of Eli and his house. God will not accept the atoning sacrifice of another for Eli and for his house. That's the bad news. Because of his sin, God was going to give them what they deserved. Um, There's no sugarcoating this bad news, and this is the hard um, reality for pastors. I have a good quote from one of my professors who says this on this passage. There's always this tension in the word of God and any authentic messenger of that word knows and lives in it. If a preacher, for example, never places you under the criticism of God's word, never tells you your sin, but only smothers you with comfort, you must wonder if he is a phony. 
If his preaching contains only the judgment note and seldom offers comfort and encouragement, one must ask if he actually cares for God's people. If one has a right regard for both the truth of God, even if it's judgment, and for the troubles of the church, he will retain the proper tension in the biblical word. He will both afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. This is the calling of God's messengers. And God's word oftentimes does that. It afflicts us when we're comfortable, and it gives us comfort when we're afflicted. Here, for Eli, however, there is no comfort. And you see Samuel is upset by that in verse 15. He lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. And rightly so, because he knew uh, that this was only judgment against Eli. And so he ends up telling him, and in Eli's report... Our retort is this, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. Eli still doesn't seem to understand the gravity of what's happening here. He understands that it is the Lord, he understands that the Lord is going to do what he's going to do, but he doesn't understand that there's yet repentance that is needed. So that's the harsh word from God. Lastly, and this is the good, kind word from God, we see his kind provision in verses 19 through 4, 1. The Lord is going to give to his people. And what does he give? Look at verse 19 again. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Um, the Lord is going to give. What does he give? Well, Samuel's going to grow. We've seen this over and over. This is now the third time that we read about Samuel growing and getting older. Um, but we're also told that the Lord was with him. And then, real quick, take about five seconds and count the number of times in your passage that you see the word and in these verses. And, 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 and. Actually, mine says there's seven ands. And what the Bible here is, it's stacking up for us all of the things that God is doing for his people by using and. If you remember from, from uh, school, they told you, you shouldn't begin a sentence with the word and. It's a bad way to do it. Well, the Bible doesn't follow that. The Bible begins with the word and over and over because we're to see uh, what the Lord is giving to his people. And actually, he gives seven things. What are the seven things that God gives to his people? First, he gives a prophet. He gives a person to deliver his word, someone to give the light of God's word. Secondly, he gives his presence to his people. His presence is there to make sure that his word is given and preached correctly. Um, we're also told, and this is uh, good for Samuel, that he gives success to Samuel. How does he say that? He says, um, um, he let none of his words fall to the ground. Uh, that would be the image of a word falling to the ground and being misused or not used at all. But here we're told that he gives Samuel success, that every word that he says lands on its, its hearers and they respond to it. He also establishes, in the very next, uh, very next verse, he establishes the authority of Samuel. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. He made sure that Samuel and his word went out through all of Israel and he was established as an authority over God's people. Not only that, in verse 21, God continued to reveal himself over and over through Samuel's work. 
And then finally, the last two things, he gave his word to Samuel. And then Samuel gave his God's word to us. Seven things that the Lord gives to his people, his grace to us. The most important thing that I think we can gather from this, and the thing that comes up over and over and over, is the presence of God with his people. We began this chapter in that way, of God with his people in the ark, ruling and reigning, and Samuel there with God, and God with Samuel. And on through the end of this chapter, that God is with his people. Well... Guess what today is? Today is the first day of Advent. We have today, including today, four Sundays right up before Christmas. What is Advent all about? Advent is about God coming to be with us. Jesus Christ, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is all about this reality of God's presence with his people. And this is both good news and bad news. It's good news that God would come with his people who accept him, but it's bad news for those who would reject the Lord Jesus Christ. God's presence is good news for Samuel, but it's bad news for Eli, because for Eli it means judgment, because his faith was not in the Lord. But it's good news for Samuel, because Samuel trusted in the Lord. We learn from this as well. Christmas is all about God with us. And for the next few weeks, we're going to see the way that God is with us. We're going to look at Emmanuel and the good news that God comes and condescends to live among his people, to give us himself. That's the greatest gift that God can give us. He can give us himself. And it's good news for those who have faith and their trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's bad news for those who blaspheme the Lord. Which one one are you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your word that you provide light to your people. We pray that we would hear your word by your grace. We thank you for this Christmas season, for the reminder that you are with us, uh, for the reminder of what your son came to do. Uh, But even as we celebrate the birth of your son, we also recognize that after his birth comes his death and his resurrection. Pray, Lord, that we would remember